Hello and welcome to Occupied Thoughts, a podcast brought to you by the Foundation for Middle East Peace. I'm Lara Friedman. I'm the president of the Foundation for Middle East Peace. Today is April 19th, 2022, and I'm very happy to have with us today from Jerusalem, Aviv Tatarsky. Aviv is a researcher at Iramim, an Israeli NGO whose mission is to render Jerusalem a more equitable and sustainable city for the Israelis and Palestinians who share it and to help secure a negotiated resolution on the city through sustained monitoring, reporting, public and legal advocacy, public education, and outreach to reorient the public discourse on Jerusalem. I encourage you to check out Iramim's website. I'll have a link to that in the uh, language along with this podcast so you can see that there. So welcome, Aviv. Hi, Lara. It's good to be with you. So I wanted to have you on today because obviously Jerusalem has been very much back in the news again. It feels for a lot of us like a rerun of, of last year. Um, and I want to talk about what is and isn't the same, what is and isn't different, and, and your thoughts on where things go. So uh, let's just start at the beginning. Um, in, in, re- in recent weeks and even recent months, there were a lot of people warning about the, the possibility of an uptick in tensions and violence in Jerusalem as we got into April. Um, in particular, people focused on concerns about um, the Haram al-Sharif Temple Mount area blowing up again. So can you first talk about why people were so worried about this happening? Right, I think um, in uh, Jerusalem and the, for the Israeli public, the events, the violent events uh, last May, uh, which began in April with uh, last year's Ramadan, uh, left a huge impact. Um, trauma is a bit uh, too strong a word, but a, lo- a huge impact. And um, now we're coming to different narratives and even misconceptions in the Israeli mind. Uh, the blow up had to do with Ramadan, the blow up had to do with Palestinian actions, with Palestinian violence and terrorism. And uh, therefore, come Ramadan again, uh, people got uh, nervous. On the Palestinian side, the, the outlook is different. Uh, for, for Palestinians, what happened last year had to do with Israeli actions. Uh, and actually, uh, many Palestinian and Palestinian friends in Jerusalem uh, were very upset by this image of Ramadan uh, being a, a, like the, the religious atmosphere in Ramadan having anything to do with violence. Um, and both sides uh, were apprehensive coming to this uh, this time. Right, and and as you said, I mean, obviously the everyone has in their minds last year's events. Um, I think adding to it, I saw a, a lot of people I talked to were pointing out to this confluence of religious holidays also, that this year you have the overlap of Ramadan with Passover, with Easter. Um, I'm, all, I'm sort of troubled when people raise that because it seems to somehow suggest that that religious holidays um, make violence and, and conflict inevitable, which of course is not true. Um, but it certainly does seem to bring out, um, I'm thinking, and I'll ask you about violence later, but I'm thinking about the visuals of, of extremist Jews trying to get to the Temple Mount to sacrifice goats. Um, it definitely you know, creates a, a lot of, <laughs> it brings a lot of things in, in from the, uh, the fringes. Um, but speaking of people trying to get to the Temple Mount to sacrifice goats, um, can you talk about, you know, at the core of this is the Temple Mount Haram al-Sharif. Can you talk about the ongoing threats and the erosion to the status quo on the sites? 
and, and how much of a factor that is playing today. And, and here, I, I, in addition to the, the visuals of people trying to smuggle animals onto the Temple Mount to carry out ritual sacrifice, I think it's worth noting that, you know, it's not just in the past few weeks, but certainly in the past few weeks, but even before that, you have a higher number of high profile visits, larger groups of, of right wing Jews who are making a very public statement, going to the Temple Mount, praying openly and visibly. And most recently you had, or recently you had, this was um, I think at the end of last month, on March 31st, yes, um, the Israeli MK Itamar Ben-Gvir, who's associated with the Khanis, who actually visited the site. It was reminiscent of Sharon's visit for a lot of us. And a video that was posted the day of his visit, he said, and I'm quoting, whoever has control over the Temple Mount has control over the whole land of Israel and our enemies also understand this. So can you talk about that, that erosion and threat to the, what used to be the status quo at least? Right, so I, actually the story here has to do with things that are actually happening and not less than that with uh, the conceptions regarding uh, what's happening. So try to, I'll try to touch on both of these. But, um, you know, the, the, of course, how do we call the place? Uh, is it the Haram Sharif, the Al-Aqsa compound or the Temple Mount? So, of course, uh, the, uh, for Jews, Temple Mount is the holiest of places, you know, historically, religiously, nationally, uh, the significance is uh, well understood to, to, to Jews. Uh, for Muslims, it's the third holiest site in Islam. Uh, putting aside the, the, the two sentiments, act in, in reality, actually, it's been functioning as a mosque, as a, a religious, as a Muslim place of worship for 1300 years, okay? And when uh, Israel occupied in the next East Jerusalem, it decided to respect that, uh, not to change it through force, uh, not only out of benevolence, but also understanding that uh, Israel is considered an occupying power. And if it does something so drastic, uh, it, it will have to pay a price. Um, and what Israelis today do not remember, they don't remember that while uh, Israel respected the situation in the Haram Sharif, it actually demolished a Palestinian neighborhood right next to it, adjacent to the Western Wall, to create today's Western Wall Plaza. So today in, a, in the Israeli public, in the Jewish public's mind, uh, is, Jews have uh, compromised, made, gave up something very big, and there's actually no recognition of the fact that actually the, the state in 1967, the state of Israel actually did uh, divide the holy places, okay? Uh, on, the, on the Muslim side, uh, there's a, there's, you, you can say a mirror image. Uh, uh, they take for granted the fact that of course, Haram al-Sharif is a, a Muslim holy site, very, very important holy site, has nothing to do, and no connection to, to Jews, to, to Judaism. You know, the extreme views over there will say that the temple never existed there and very much aware of what happened to the Mugrabi neighborhood that was demolished in 1967, uh, it can certainly happen uh, next on, on the Haram Sharif. Now, for quite a few decades, uh, that wasn't an acute problem because Israel as a, as a state, the Israeli government respected what we call today the status quo, the fact that uh, Muslims alone can worship at the Temple Mount. 
And uh, the temple movements, those uh, Jewish groups that uh, wanted to challenge this situation were very small, very fringe. The Israeli public itself, the Israeli government considered them as uh, dangerous and uh, you know, uh, not, not serious. This has very much changed over the last, you can say 15 years. And the most uh, concerning thing is that it wasn't only grassroots, it wasn't only changing, changing on with you know, sentiment of national religious groups, but actually receiving support from within uh, governments so over the last decade, Netanyahu's governments, uh, all kinds of figures, were political figures, be it Miri Regev, be it Gil Adirdan, and, uh, and therefore the strengthening of the, of the temple movements was not only getting uh, more followers and uh, more temple activists uh, visiting the, the Temple Mount, the Haram Sharif, but also uh, the government making the police change its policy, beginning a, a much more aggressive policy towards uh, Muslims in the Haram Sharif, towards the Waqf. And uh, over the last decade, we saw a, a series of steps of deterioration. Now we have a new government. Um, I, for one, think that in respect to the Haram Sharif, this government's policy is different. We can speak about it. But uh, this has not been recognized. Um, there, and, and for good reasons, it hasn't been recognized because there's no trust. And uh, then when uh, what you mentioned, uh, uh, Itamar Ben-Gvir going up and making these statements of taking over and control and uh, extreme Jewish groups speaking about sacrificing, uh, making a sacrifice in the Temple Mount. Uh, Muslims take that very seriously. Um, of course, there are also Muslim groups that manipulate and take advantage of the situation and, and use it in order to create unrest. But uh, for the general uh, Palestinian Muslim public, uh, they, they, they see it as a, as a true threat. Um, and that lay the ground for a confrontation. Thanks, that's an amazing summary of a lot of years. I, I found myself, while you were speaking, taking a couple of notes, and I think it's worth reminding people that Palestinian fears about um, the intentions, the aspirations on the Temple Mount Haram al-Sharif are not entirely, um, are, are not baseless. I mean, I, I would remind people, sorry, there's people in the background talking um, about the Jewish underground in the 80s, which actually had a plot that it was eventually stopped by the Israeli authorities, but a, a well, sorry, I'm gonna, for one second, a well-developed plot, Sorry, this, this, this is live TV, right? You can tell. A well-developed <laughs> plot to, to blow up the Dome of the Rock. Um, and there's also, I know, the concerns, and I hear this from, from people a lot, looking at what happened in Hebron after the Hebron massacre and essentially the, the reorganizing of the Ibrahimi Mosque, Tomb of the Patriarchs, where you now have a shared space where it is really run by Israel and Palestinians don't have access sometimes. And people, the idea that that's seen as a model um, by, by some of the temple activists on the Jewish side for reorganizing um, the Haram sharif Temple Mount to have it be essentially a divided space with, with shared authority. Um, it's, not, it's not for nothing. Those, those concerns don't come from nowhere. Um, so Maybe, sorry, maybe I, I even emphasize what you said because again, now if we speak of conceptions, so in the Jewish-Israeli public, um, they, would, they would just say, look, these are very extreme uh, movements. 
the the underground very extreme they were punished they were jailed a uh, ben gvir he's in the opposition he's not part of the government he's the most extreme right wing mk and so on but on the other hand first palestinians they don't necessarily make these distinctions just as uh, we israeli jews are not really uh, aware of the different distinctions between palestinian factions but more than that, uh, um, there has been support from within the government. You had Israeli ministers over the last 10 years saying again and again and again that they, are, uh, they don't agree with the status quo. They want to see a change. We had even ministers speaking, saying things like Uri Ariel, an agriculture minister he was at the time, speaking a decade from now, 10 years from now, the temple will be built. Zev Elkin, a, an important minister, a, saying, I call upon you, I call upon all the Jews to flow into the old city and to ascend the Temple Mount until we, you know, bring back our days of old and so on. Um, and Israelis, Jews, are not really aware uh, of how serious uh, these actions are and certainly not how they are considered by uh, Palestinians and Muslims. Yeah, no, I really appreciate that. The um, looking at where we are now, so there have been increased, there have been rounds of increased violence and tensions over and over around the Temple Mount Harmashif in the past, including, as we said, last summer. So given all the warnings and where things are today, why does this feel almost predictable, right? And at the same time, what is really new and different? You said you think the current government's policy is different and hasn't been recognized, but, but what are the key factors in play right now in Jerusalem? And, and how would you see the situation? How is it similar or different compared to last year, including with respect to the Israeli government? Right, so at this point where, you know, there have been violent clashes now for three, four days, it's very easy to say, look, uh, again, uh, we failed and uh, everything's a mess, just like it was last year. I think it's really, really important to note the differences. Uh, last year, uh, I'm, I'm, let's now speak about the old city and Ramadan, not only about the Haram Sharif Temple Mount. Uh, last year, the Israeli police took initiative and uh, decided to block uh, the area of the Damascus Gate, the main entrance into, into uh, the old city to block it so not to allow uh, Muslims to gather there. Uh, this was very forceful and the police actually used uh, collective punishment and the uh, beatings and the hand grenades against you know, uh, thousands of Muslims who came there just to break the fast and so on. This went on day after day after day with really, you know, these are things I saw with my own eyes, terrible violence. This didn't happen this year, okay? Uh, and not only it didn't happen, so it, it's the same police, it's even the same police officers. The directive, I imagine, came from above, came from the government. Um, so not only uh, uh, it did not happen, but even when there were provocations by Palestinian youth, uh, the police didn't use it as an excuse to attack the whole crowds, okay? Um, and again, speaking of conceptions, those of us that are critical of the Israeli uh, government or governments weren't quick to catch that. The, 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 it took quite a lot of time. Everyone was looking out for the confrontations, for the clashes, and there were a few minor incidents that got all that attention. And 
it took time until people started saying, hey, look, the, the police is acting differently. And I think it's part of our responsibility if we wish to promote you know, less violence and the more, uh, I, I don't know what word to say, but more res mutual respect. It's our uh, uh, job to recognize these things when they happen and not, not only look for the uh, wrongdoings that we know very well, the, the bad policies that are there. Then uh, in the- hey, can, I, can I just stop you? I, I wanna ask you about that because I appreciate what you're saying and I appreciate the contrast between last year and this year, but I, I have to say as somebody who is, you know, looking at the videos coming out from not just the, from the Haram al-Sharif itself, from the areas around the Haram al-Sharif, from Damascus Gate, I see a lot of violence. And I see a lot of, I mean, you can say it's not the same level of violence, but I, I mean, the world is seeing video after video of, of, you know, heavily armed security officials basically beating civilians. I mean, you've got, you know, you, you see someone run by and hit a an unarmed woman with a baton and break her arm. You see uh, a, a beating of a, of, a, of, a, of a photographer. You see the video, which I saw yesterday, of, of basically chasing a father and son and literally chasing them. Like they're not doing anything. At some point you can say, well, we didn't want you there. You've now run away. We're going to chase you down and beat you in front of your child. That's so, right. I mean, I think it's, I, I want to be just, for me, I mean, I appreciate the analysis, but I think it's important to recognize that there are degrees here. And you're saying, I think that the degree of violence and brutality is different than last year, and that should be recognized. But still, compared to a normal way that a, a, a security force deals with civilians, it's pretty extraordinary, the visuals that we're seeing. Right. So two parts to the answer, to the response. One, uh, all the examples that you just brought, which um, I assume it's the same things that I saw because I recognize the descriptions, are one, they're horrible, just like you said. Two, they're all from the three, four uh, recent days. And before that, we had a week of Ramadan uh, where uh, the situation was much, much better in terms of police violence. Uh, so I was referring to the first week of Ramadan. That's one. Okay, thank you. No, that, but, that makes sense. Okay, I understand. But, but uh, and, and of course, I have to speak about the police violence, and I want to speak about the police violence, about what went, went wrong in the last few days. But the other thing uh, is that uh, we are in a, in a um, I don't know if the word is bind, but we are here in a situation that the occupation is a given. And, uh, and the occupation is not just, of course, an abstract situation. It has to do with all kinds of oppressive means. Part of them is a brutal police violence. It's actually, we call it police, but it's actually more army than police. Um, and, uh, and that puts, uh, how should I say, uh, peace workers or peace activists in a problem because uh, I cannot deny that the truth of the fact is that the occupation didn't go anywhere. And this government is an, a government that is not ending the occupation, is not doing anything to change it. On the other hand, on, in specific issues, in specific policies, there is a change for good. And I think it's important to recognize it. Now, how do, I, how do we recognize it without you know, saying, okay, the occupation is good, the occupation can continue, uh, that's uh, difficult. On the other hand, if we uh, ignore the, 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 the good policies, then we're not able to support them and to encourage that they continue. Uh, so it's tricky. 
and the and the I I I'm not sure I have the right way to do it, but I for one I feel right now it's important to say the government gave directives and uh, did things differently than the previous government, and at a certain point when things reached a certain point, it went back to the old policies of using a, a not using force, using brutal force and a calling things a security issue, thereby justifying things uh, that are one, uh, you know, a vi violation of the uh, Palestinian rights and two, I think they're damaging the interests of all. Yeah, no, I, I guess what you're saying, I, I get it. I, I think it's difficult for probably a lot of our listeners. It's difficult for me to sort of look at this and say, well, the structural violence associated with occupation has actually been better in recent months with the new government, but now it's tipping over back into the old government because structural violence is structural violence. And this is what Palestinians live with all the time. So I think it's, it's it, it, I think the point you're making is, is obviously important and it needs to be understood though in the context of a system of structural violence, which is always present. Um, so moving into where we are today, so why did the situation suddenly get so much hotter? Why did it hit this tipping point where this Israeli government went back to tried and true, um, from its perspective, ways of just clamping down and, and using the kind of violence that we've been seeing, you know, travel and video around the world? Right. So, you know, the, the first week of Ramadan uh, passed relatively peacefully. I, I think, uh, in general, you, you, I'm, I'm speaking as a as an Israeli Jew, but I think even if we would ask uh, Muslim Palestinians, uh, they were happy uh, of the situation in the Damascus Gate uh, in the old city. Of course, the the border police was there, the occupation was there, but it was much better than a year ago. And came. Friday and the big Friday prayer where everyone anticipates tensions and that went well as well. And we had nearly two weeks of things, you know, relatively okay. There was violence, you know, there, the occupation, there's always violence. There were also uh, Palestinian terror attacks with uh, Israelis uh, murdered and uh, army actions where uh, Palestinians, many Palestinians were killed over the second week of Ramadan, and then came Friday uh, uh, in uh, the old city and in Al-Aqsa with that uh, Jewish group saying, we're going to sacrifice a lamb on, uh, on the Temple Mount. Uh, all these things together, so the waves of killings, along with the agitation of the temple movements, uh, created a backlash of uh, uh, Muslims uh, barricading themselves uh, in the Haram Sharif, uh, saying we are going to block those uh, Jewish extremists. We're not going to let them uh, enter and make their sacrifice. Uh, and uh, they were preparing uh, all kinds of barricades and stones that they could throw and, and so on. The Israeli police, on the one hand, uh, uh, arrested some of the temple activists, also arrested uh, Palestinian activists. But in, in as far as how the government treated the, the, that, uh, that uh, Jewish intention uh, of sacrifice, they, they arrested uh, some of the activists. They, uh, they had uh, uh, police ready to, you know, to block uh, Jewish activists wanting to come with lamps to, towards the, the Temple Mount. And, uh, and they, they did that. They didn't do anything to alleviate the concerns of the uh, Palestinian Muslim public. 
And when that, uh, that, that, um, th those groups in the Haram Sharif were barricading themselves and chanting all kinds of slogans and preparing the stones and so on, here the police sa said, and this is something for us to discuss, but the police said that this is a security issue. We cannot allow uh, them to throw stones at, for example, the Western Wall Plaza. And the police raided uh, the Haram Sharif. And then when you have huge forces, armed forces of the Israeli special units, and you have uh, the Palestinians who are ready for confrontation, you, the result is terrible and it's happening in a place that's supposed to be holy for everyone. And they are just fighting there. The, the Israeli police is doing things. <laughs> the, the Palestinians are throwing stones and the situation uh, quickly deteriorates. Yeah, I mean, look, I would also add hundreds of Palestinians were arrested. You mentioned a few, I mean, hundreds of Palestinians. And I think for a lot of us watching this year after year, the, the framing of this as, you know, clashes, um, you know, if you, if you watch the, the Western media and the Israeli media, it sort of sounds like the Israeli police were peacefully standing around and they were suddenly attacked by raging hordes of Palestinians, which has absolutely not happened. So, so yeah, I mean, this framing of this being clashes, I think is really, it, it's not for nothing that, that I think a lot of Palestinians and I think a lot of us as observers feel that this is framed in a way that is not, um, it's not entirely accurate. Again, speaking of structural violence of occupation, um, and, and you can, there can be all sorts of debates on, you know, whether or not there are real security risks and why Israel felt it had to go in and do this. But the fact is, it sort of, it feels a little bit like when Palestinians are called terrorists because the IDF comes through their village and they throw a stone at an IDF soldier who's invaded their village. Um, the, the, the clashes framing is, is, is problematic, I think. Um, the, I, I want to actually shift. We don't have a ton of time and I, I appreciate how much time you're giving me. The, there are broader dynamics in play here, right? So I wanted to ask, I'm gonna give you a list and you can talk about any of these you wanna talk about. What about Jordan? Historically, Jordan has played an important role in helping tamp down escalations around the Haram al-Sharif when they've happened. This time around, I believe you have the Israeli government accusing Jordan of playing an inciting and support for terrorism role. I think there's been language like that in the past couple of days because Jordan has expressed concern, which is um, not great in terms of the Israel-Jordan relationship and you know, it speaks to some broader problems. Um, what about Russia injecting itself into this issue? I believe uh, the Putin yesterday made comments about concerns about Israel's actions on the Haram al-Sharif, which seems awfully opportunistic to me. Um, what about the Hamas role? Hamas calling on Muslims to protect the Temple Mount as you have you know, extremists wanting to sacrifice goats and that sort of thing. The other piece that I think is really interesting, I mean, we have the ongoing settler activity in the old city. We had this major hotel that was taken over last you know, week ago um, in the middle of the old city. This is a hugely important thing, hugely symbolic for Palestinians. Um, we have what continues to be what is a shrinking and threatening of public space like the Damascus Gate, where, as you said, the, you know, this year there have been, Palestinians have been allowed to gather, but there still have been soldiers. There's still videos of, of people being chased and being brutalized. And then the last piece, which I'd be fascinated for your thoughts on, is the Bennett coalition crisis, because Jerusalem is such a potent issue in Israeli politics, Haram al-Sharif and the Temple Mount in particular. Um, so all of this is happening amidst a moment of a coalition crisis for the current Israeli government. So any of that you want to talk about? 
Right. So it's of, of course, I think one of the problems in the discourse I've heard in Israel in the last few days is that what's happening in the Temple Mount is being talked about in isolation from a, all, all other um, um, actions of violence, either settler takeovers or state violence or the army and, and so on. And, uh, and uh, as if it, it, there is no connection. So, so that, that's something I think the, like, uh, is missing in the, in the Israeli perceptions. On the other hand, the other things you mentioned, like the Jordan, the, 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 the rift with Jordan and the, the crisis in the government, uh, here people in Israel and the, the government officials certainly are very much aware of the price that Israel is paying uh, for a crisis in the Al-Aqsa Mosque. And since Netanyahu's governments over the last 10 years <laughs> created uh, escalations again, 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 people now have enough experience to understand that Israel pays a price for this. And the, the good thing about it, if, if we can say good, is that there is really a good reason for a government that is not interested in further eroding the status quo in the Haram Sharif, there is good reason to think, okay, what can we do different in order uh, to prevent such escalations? And the challenge currently for, I think, the, this current Israeli government, can they rethink uh, their security discourse in respect to uh, the Haram al-Sharif. The, the right now, uh, the, the mainstream sentiment, not only right-wing, mainstream sentiment is, and even uh, serious left-wing uh, people, uh, when they speak about a security threat in the Haram al-Sharif, then, you know, the police needs to intervene and what can we do? And I think the last few days are showing that this is not at all helpful. And that may open people's mind to the fact that uh, the police not only should, but could have acted differently. So, I'm sorry, I'm just, I, I keep musing on different parts of what you're saying. I, I think there's a lot of really compelling stuff in there. There's, it's, it's, it's a perspective that in many ways I find, a piece of this I find challenging, right? Because I, I keep thinking of, all right, if you're a Palestinian, you know, Israelis see this in a moment. It's, it's much like what happens with the idea of, you know, cycles of terror. Israelis believe a cycle of terror starts because they've been attacked. They don't care about or even know about or think about the structural violence that Palestinians deal with every day. And so they're not thinking about the, the constant erosion of Palestinian equities, the threats to them in the old city and on the Haram Sharif, this, this ongoing sense of being under siege and of, of you know, things like the Itzimar Ben Gvir visit, I think probably didn't um, resonate nearly um, strongly enough with the Israeli public for what it symbolized. So, you know, when I think about what's happening with the coalition crisis and I hear analysis from Israelis, like, you know, you've got to make sure that you save this government because if not, you get a government of Ben Gvir and his type, I mean, Palestinians know that, right? They know that that is waiting in the wings and it's not a minor part of the Israeli body politic. And it, it's, a, it's a trend in Israeli politics, which it's the sort of like, they tell you who they are, you should believe them. And when they tell you who they are, they say, there's no place for you on the Temple Mount Haram al-Sharif, it's ours. Um, so I, I, it's hard for me to, to, to sort of imagine given where Israeli politics are today and how, how across the spectrum is the sense that you have to defend security on the Temple Mount Haram al-Sharif in Israel. It's hard to see 
um, how Palestinians would be convinced that things are going to calm down or that their security and their, their equities are in any way going to be respected going forward. It seems the erosion of equities has been so such a powerful trend for so long. Um, but I guess that sort of leads into my next question. I, I, I've tipped my hat on what I think, but I, I guess with all of that in mind, all of this analysis- But, but maybe before, before the, the next question, I, I think there's something important to point out here. Um, I mean, all you say is very, very true. And uh, you know, I heard an interview uh, uh, yesterday of uh, MK from the coalition and the best thing he had to offer was just as you said, uh, you're going to get uh, Netanyahu and Ben Gvir, and that's going to be much worse for the uh, Haram Sharif and for the Palestinians and so on, which is not a good answer. But when we look at Palestinians, we need to see that if I just uh, focus for a second on the Haram Sharif, uh, they are able to uh, contain the situation. It's not that uh, uh, Palestinians, um, I don't know, challenge Israel in the Haram Sharif every day or every week or even every month. There has been specific things happening in the last uh, couple of weeks that for Palestinians and Muslims were a red line. Uh, and, uh, and that's why, I, that's the potential that I see. If we are willing to acknowledge that the government did a few things better than previous governments, then we can also tell them, okay, these are the specific things that you did wrong. Uh, there is another approach, which I understand and respect, saying, look, the problem is the occupation, and we have to deal with that, and we cannot deal with specifics. But when I'm looking at what has been happening in the last few weeks, I do see specifics. Yeah, I guess my, my concern looking at the specifics is the, in my experience of watching Jerusalem for the past 25 years, Jerusalem is most vulnerable during moments of political unrest inside the Israeli domestic scene because politicians across the spectrum tend to try to earn political capital on Jerusalem. And it is difficult to see any, if the, if the idea is that it is a victory for stability and security and the rights of Palestinians to try to um, shore up some red lines which have moved massively over the past 25 years and which aren't being shored up in any sort of permanent way. It's a kind of managing, you know, managing expectations, managing, managing the situation. I mean, it, the bottom line seems to be, you know, these equities are going to be challenged regardless of who, of who is in charge, but at least the guys in charge are challenging them in a way that isn't quite as in your face and, and, and horrifically violent or brutal as the last government, and it could be worse, which doesn't really sound like a recipe for, for stability or justice or resolving a conflict, um, which again, to just to, to, to go to the, I'm not asking you to have answers. These are big questions, but I mean, I appreciate, I appreciate your perspective. Um, and this is, you know, an Israeli perspective from an Israeli peace activist. It's an important perspective here. And you're obviously immersed in these on the ground every day, these issues. And with all of that in mind, <laughs> where do you think this goes? This is the crystal ball portion of the uh, conversation. Um, right. You know, things are obviously, there's a concern that things are going to escalate beyond Jerusalem. Last year, Jerusalem actually settled down a little bit while they escalated everywhere else, but the spark was lit in Jerusalem. I mean, do you, do you have any predictions of how this plays out more broadly outside, inside and outside of Jerusalem? Um, I do not know to say, I think we are at a, certainly at a dangerous moment. Uh, and uh, what's very frustrating 
is that uh, there are things that can be done to uh, reduce the risk, and right now they are not uh, being can be done by Israel, and they, and they are not being done. And I think the crux of the issue is just what you said before: uh, the, the 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 occupation with suppression is not going anywhere. Uh, and uh, and um, you know, as long as it's there, uh, we can offer you know very uh, very little. Um, on the other hand, uh, we do see things that are uh, causing, creating a, a lot of damage. If uh, Israel keeps on uh, you know uh, insisting that uh, it's not that Jews enter the Hamas Sharif, that's not necessarily the issue, but that police first uh, attack the Muslims in the compound in order to create like an, an empty space for the temple activists to enter into, then that just deteriorates the situation uh, day by day. Uh, in a few days, we're going to reach the last 10 days of Ramadan, which in the past, uh, it was custom that the Haram Sharif is open to Muslims alone. Non-Muslims do not enter the compound in the last 10 days of Ramadan. So who knows, maybe we're just gonna hang in there for a few days. And then uh, because things in the Haram Sharif uh, become more relaxed, the tension dissipates and maybe a, a big escalation has been, uh, you know, uh, warded off. The, the problems are still there. And if uh, it didn't uh, uh, erupt this time, which I hope it wouldn't, we, we know that nothing has really changed and the, the conditions are there. And also we must remember, you spoke about the structural violence, that even when there is so-called no escalation and we are less tense, the attacks on Palestinians in East Jerusalem, in, West, in the West Bank, they continue uh, day by day. Uh, uh, this government in that sense, uh, as you know, this, this situation in the West Bank is uh, as worse, worse, than, worse than it has ever been in, in some senses, in East Jerusalem also. Uh, that's where we are. That's where we are. Yeah, and I, I, appreci I appreciate that. The, I find myself thinking as we're talking of the images from last year. I don't know if you recall the images when there was a fire on the on the Haram Sharif, and it was videos of Jewish youth in the Western Wall Plaza, which of course is the site of what used to be the Mugrabi Quarter, which is the Palestinian quarter that was raised by Israel to create the Western Wall Plaza. Most of those people were moved to the Shofar refugee camp, a piece of history that virtually nobody knows. Um, but I remember videos of of these kids dancing and singing with ecstasy um, as they thought they were watching the mosque burn on the Haram Sharif. Um, and, and I have to say that, you know, as someone who's watched this evolve for years, um, I, am, I am horrified at where the public um, consciousness is, has moved to what was, you know, 25 years ago, a marginal, far right wing position. You know, when the idea that someone would have a plot to blow up the Dome of the Rock, you know, was people reacted with horror, recognizing what that might unleash, separate from having any cares for Palestinians, what it might unleash on them. And, and now it's, you know, celebrating um, the destruction, what, the, the, what they thought was the destruction of another people's um, third holiest site. It, it's pretty horrible. And it's, it's hard for me to see how this is. Any, there's, I, I see what you're saying about sort of managing it and trying to tamp it down. But with everything that's happening, 
how this is resolved outside of a broader end to the right. structural violence and what most of us are increasingly talking about as not just an occupation but apartheid and that's um it, it's such a it's such a challenge it makes it hard to talk about this in isolation but i understand why it's also important to look at it in isolation to see what's actually happening um at the site and right now so i i really appreciate you taking the time and being with us and thank you for your work um, maybe i would just say i'm sorry if i can add this sentence yes, just to respond to to you know you you said very accurately and very importantly and uh, and uh, I, I think we one one way to approach things is to say you know this system the, the Israeli regime is completely broken Israeli society is just becoming more and more uh, racist and uh, about Jewish uh, domination and, you know, and supremacy and so on uh, it's an apartheid regime and we can uh, all the time work against it. And I understand that uh, that sentiment. I, I cannot say that it is wrong. Uh, there is a, a, another a sentiment saying, "Look, we 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 have to do uh, whatever is possible to uh, minimize damage." Uh, myself as an Israeli activist, and that's also important for the international community to hear. Me as an Israeli activist, I cannot change the situation. If someone thinks that Israeli society can end the occupation by itself. Clearly, clear message should be said, no, Israel, the Israeli society is not going to end the occupation on its own accord. Uh, but me as working here uh, with Israeli society, with Israeli politicians, with the Palestinian communities, I have to take up every fight that I, that I can. And for that, I need to get into the details uh, uh, which it's not just the bottom line, uh, apartheid and so on. And I appreciate that. And I think this is something that all, anyone who works on human rights or, or, you know, humanitarian issues, you know, do you, do you ignore the stuff happening on the ground and work only on the big picture and then people suffer more? Or do you focus on the stuff that's happening on the ground, the small picture, while keeping a keen awareness of the broader structures? It's, I think it's a, it's a huge challenge for activists. And I, I respect tremendously that you're trying to balance that. And I appreciate your work. Um, we're going to stop here. So Aviv, thank you so much for joining me today and sharing your insights at this, this critical moment. And for our audience, thank you for listening and watching. And finally- Thank you very much, Lara. Thank you. And finally, as always, I want to remind people, subscribe to the Occupied Thoughts podcast. This is where I do the quick ad. Uh, you can do so on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Spotify. That way you won't miss any of the content that we're posting uh, every week. And you can also find this podcast and a video of it on our website at www.fmep.org. And with that, we're going to end this. I'm Laura Friedman, president of the Foundation for Middle East Peace, signing off until the next episode of Occupied Thoughts. Thank you.